Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Home and somebody needs to drive you who's unfamiliar with the area. There's one of two types of people that you are. The first type, I'm going to call you the street name people. You jump into the passenger seat or, or you're in the driver's seat or whatever's happening, but you're trying to give directions to somebody who's unfamiliar and you are the street name people. You're like, all right, here's the deal. You're going to go down this street. This is 4th Avenue right now. When you get to the end of 4th Avenue, you're going to turn left onto a South Passage and you're going to go down there for about 0.72 miles. Then you're going to turn a right onto Palm Street. You're going to take that down about 0.73 miles. Then turn left onto Highway 65. You're going to go down Highway 65 for quite a while. Then there's going to be a 7th Street exit and a 14th. You'll go past the 7th Street exit, but then take the 14th Street exit. All right? You with me? Okay, cool. So then from there, you're going to get on to 169. And after then, you'll go down and you go on and on and on. Then you have the second type of person. We're going to call them the landmark people. You're going to go to the stop sign and take a left. You're going to go about 20 paces down that way. There's a farm with a really weird looking cow over there. Turn right. If you go straight and you see the guy who only has one leg, you went too far. You'll get onto Highway 65 and you go past the rock that looks like a dinosaur. Then you'll go up to the gas station, turn left. Then you have the Johnson's Farm there on the right-hand side. And then you're there. Where are my landmark people at? Street people. Do you know what usually happens? The two get married. (laughs) I don't know how you don't know what you just go left on Zedon, right on. So is that before or after Dinosaur Rock? Because I have no idea what you're talking about. How do you not understand? It's just a road. Do you look at the signs? No, I don't. I'm looking at the ducks flying in the air that are going past. I don't have time to look at roads. Just looking for the rock. Then you have the third group of people, like the the subgroup. I'm just a GPS it. It's only two miles down the road. Yeah, I'm just a GPS it. Kids are smart, right? Because then they can't confuse you with all their stuff. However you get there, I've noticed that there are people, when you are unsure of where you're going, when you're not sure where you're driving, there's a difference in how you drive than when you know exactly where you're going. When you're waiting for directions by somebody else, whether they're giving you landmarks or road names or whatever they're going to do, when you don't know where you're going, you drive differently. You drive slower, you're kind of scanning much more, you're looking for the signs, you're looking for the landmarks, you're, just, you're kind of going slow, you're, like, you're, just, you're a little apprehensive, you're, you get paranoid, right? Like, did I miss my turn? I feel like we've been on this road for a long time, and you're like, no, we've been literally driving for 20 seconds. There's no way we missed it. Then you have the guy who knows exactly where he's going, and he's doing about 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. With a burger in this hand and a phone in this hand driving with his left knee. (laughs) There's a difference when you know where you're going versus when you don't know where you're going. There's a difference in how you carry yourself. Like I talked last week for a little bit in my mini sermon before we even started the sermon. There's a confidence there. 
When you know where you're going, what you're doing, you just behave, you drive, you do everything differently than when you don't. And Jesus was a man who I think did everything with intention. To go along with this metaphor, Jesus would be the one-handed driver who just flying down the road because he knew exactly what he was doing. He took 12 brothers who were not actual brothers, but 12 dudes who were just completely different, different professions, different personalities, different everything. Their lives were seemingly on 12 different paths, all going different directions. And he brought them all together and said, hey, we're going to go here. We're going to go and do this. He got them on one path even when they didn't see it. I talked about last week, after the Easter story happens, after Jesus dies and goes to the cross and resurrects, there's this confusion among the disciples. They're confused as to how this happened, why this happened, where they were going, because what happened is for three years, they saw Jesus at his very best. For three years, they watched him heal people. They watched him go up somebody who had these diseases and he would just pray for them. All of a sudden they were healed. They saw Jesus get down on the ground and play with the little kids that were in the area. You know the story, you know, or the type of person when you go to Easter or you go to any family gathering, there's that one uncle or that one grandparent who's just like the best with kids. Like it's like the kids are just like wrestling him and they're going crazy and they're like doing backflips on the living room floor. Just like that one parent or relative that's amazing with kids. Jesus is that way. They're walking into this, these random towns and, and Jesus is just getting, he's a busy man. He's, he's well-desired, but he gets down on the ground and, and he just like loves kids. And it's awesome. They saw him at his best. They saw him get away by himself to pray. They saw him step away from the busyness, away from the chaos, away from the needs that were required of him to get alone to spend time with God the Father. They saw him at his best. And they saw him at his worst when he was going through all of the nastiness that happened leading up to the moment on the cross. And the whole time, they're just along for the ride. They're observing. They're watching all of this happen. Sometimes Jesus asks their help when he does that. But by and large, Jesus is the main act. He's the main event. They're just little stagehands that are just along for the ride. So they thought. Which is why when Jesus goes to the cross and dies, they're completely distraught. They're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? This man that has become where everything is gone. And we read this last week. After he comes back to life and they're waiting for him to, to appear, we read this in John chapter 20. On the evening of the day of the first day of the week, and this is Easter Sunday, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, we talked about this last week, they're they're fearing for their lives. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands in his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. These guys are confused. They're skeptical. They're doubt filled. There's all the stuff. But Jesus dives head first into it. It says, peace be with you. Here are my hands, holes in them from the nails. Here's my side where they punctured me. I know you have your doubts. I know you have your stuff. I'm going to meet you where you're at and show you that I am who I am. I did what I said I could do. 
I can do the impossible. And here's the proof how. We talked about this last week. You're kind of like, well, geez, I was here last week. You said the same thing. Everyone likes a recap, all right? That was a prerequisite for what was about to happen. Because what was about to happen in the lives of the disciples was about to change the trajectory of their life forever. They would never be the same from this moment on. And it was important that Jesus met them where they were at and showed them who he was at this moment. Because what he was about to do in their life, what he was about to ask of them, he had to be 100% sure that they were 100% sure that he was who he was. Jesus knew who he was, but he needed them to see who he was. Because what he was about to do was going to require them to be all the way bought in, all the way ready. Let's continue the story. John chapter 20, verse 21 through 23. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This was the moment. This was the light bulb. This was the aha moment for the disciples. This is where they said, I get it now. For three years, we've been watching you do everything. We've been watching you change lives. We've been watching you meet people where they're at. We've watched you love people. We've watched you go through persecution, all the things that come with it. We've watched you diligently for three years. And we didn't know our purpose. We were just the groupies in the back who are like crazy, huh? Jesus is that's it. Yeah, he healed somebody last week, brought him back to life. This is where the story changes for the disciples. Because Jesus had done the work. He made the way. He went to the cross. He died. He came back to life. And what that meant was that now anybody could go right to God. You didn't have to consult a priest. You didn't have to consult somebody to talk to God. You could go right to him. Instead of sacrificing an animal every time you messed up or you sinned, you could go right to Jesus and say, God, would you forgive me? And he would forgive you. Instead of following the over 600 different rules that the Pharisees and the religious people had, Jesus is going, hey, nah, nah, nah. if you just follow me and trust me, that's good enough for him. He made it possible for all of that. And he didn't just do the miracles here on earth so that the people that lived at the same time Jesus did could experience it. He did it so that you and I could have the same experience. So you and I could have the same honor of knowing Jesus personally on a very, very real level. The whole story for the disciples has led up to this whole moment it's like watching one of your favorite movies and you're just watching. You're like, oh, I got this figured out. I got it. And all of a sudden at the very end, they just flip it and they twist it and they turn it. And the girlfriend's actually, you know, the, 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 the thief and the betrayer. And then you're like, what is going on? Just me. This is the twist for the disciples. Because Jesus is saying, guys, he sent me to go to the cross. 
He sent me to make a way, and now I'm sending you. You're not just the groupies. You're not just the fans. You're not just the guys who are just going to watch all this happen and go, whoa, that's pretty cool. No, you have a purpose and you have an identity that is wrapped up in me. And so instead of just sitting around, guess what? I'm sending you out to make a difference just like I did. I am sending you just as he sent me. And the disciples Got it in this moment. You know, as kids, we have this euphoric experience. Whether you're in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, as kids, I think a lot of us might remember sitting in preschool. And they go, what do you want to be when you grow up? Sometimes you write it down, right? But you always have this experience of, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we always think, like, I'm going to be a firefighter, or I'm going to be a basketball player. I'm going to be a president. I'm going to be an accountant, Accountants are great. My mother-in-law is an accountant. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be something that, and I'm going to do something with my life. From an early age, we think that, you know what? I'm going to do something significant with my life. I'm going to be a parent. I'm going to be a husband or a wife. We have these grand plans for our future and our dreams. Why? Because I think at an early age, we are conditioned to know our life is meant to mean something. Our life is not just meant to just be 80 some years of just walking around on a spinning rock and just living life and just going through the cycle. What's the point if we don't live our life for something significant? And from an early age, we see the need to do something with our lives. And the disciples got it in this moment. They got that, you know what? This is why I was created. This is why I was brought to this earth. This is it right here, right now. This is my purpose. And Jesus flipped it on them right then and there. What happened in that locked room on that night changed the disciples because they went from spectators to believers. They went from observers to players. They went from insignificant to insanely significant. Because Jesus was commissioning them and sending them out. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I need to understand, I need you to understand how big of a deal this is. When you have that mentor in your life, that person in your life that you look up to more than anybody else, when you have that person in your life that you're like, this is my idol, this is the person that is the most significant voice in my life, the person I look up to the most, if they were to look at you and say, look, you're going to do amazing things, better things than I've ever done in my life, it would change you. It would change the way you see yourself. That is who Jesus was for them. Jesus was their everything. He wasn't just saying, hey, guys, you better go. He was saying, look, you've looked up to me for the last three years. You followed me, and now I'm sending you. This was a huge, huge deal for the disciples. They no longer just saw Jesus at this point. They saw themselves through his eyes, and it changed him. Jesus said, the Father sent me. I'm sending you. I want you to see how God calls out Jesus earlier on. If you back up 
before Easter, three or four years, as Jesus begins his ministry, as he begins walking around and changing people's lives, we find this in Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized in water, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God the Father was identifying Jesus. He obviously knew it was his son, right? You don't go to the hospital with a Sharpie and go, hmm, that kid's mine, better not forget him. You know it's yours. But there's a difference when somebody walks up and goes, which one's yours? You say, that one's mine. You're not just identifying them, you're you're owning, you're going, that is my kid. There's a pride there. There's a beaming. That's my kid. That's mine. God the Father was doing that with Jesus. He was identifying him and saying, this is my son. He's about to change the world. He's about to change eternity. He was identifying him. And what is Jesus doing in John chapter 20? The Father sent me I am sending you. Jesus is identifying the disciples saying, guys, you are not just average Joes. You're not just 12 fishermen, doctors, average guys off the street anymore. You are believers of me. You are my brothers. You are children of God. You are going to do something amazing with your life because you are now mine. He was identifying them and saying, you are significant. You are real. You are mine. And Jesus turned it on its head and said, because of that, I'm sending you out. The light bulb goes on. Aha, this is what we are meant to do. We're supposed to go into all the world and tell people about who he is. What a commission If you were here last week, you heard the vision of our church going forward is to see people come alive in Christ, to see people come alive in him. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean you know about God. It means you know about yourself through him. Doesn't just mean we just come to church and we just experience and learn more about who God is. We learn more about who God is and who we are in him. As we go through this series, so now I'm slowly going to peel back the layers of where our church is going, what we're doing, how this is all going to work, because I believe God has set something new, as I talked about earlier, for this church. Something new within us individually, something new within this body of people, something new within this community, because I firmly believe that whether you are sitting in the chairs right now, whether you are watching online, whether you are listening in your car a day from now, three days from now, two weeks from now, I believe with every ounce of my being that every single person that's going to hear my voice has purpose and identity in God that is so, so powerful, we can't even wrap our heads around it. You are not just meant to exist on this earth. You are not just a random person. God has called you out, singled you out, put you out on this earth for a reason. And the purpose of this church is for you to see that and to know what that purpose is and live it out. 
Because as we see for the disciples, it changed them and it changed the world. I love what it says here in Psalm 139. I have it on the screen, but I love what it says in this verse. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. In the 4th of July, when you're just getting sunburned and hanging out in the sandbar and sitting, spitting sunflower seeds out into the lake and just thinking this is the best, or fishing, a lot of you guys like to fish. Next time you're at the lake, if it ever warms up, it might be August or so. Go to the beach, go to the sandbar, scoop your hand down and pick up a, a, just a handful of sand and start counting the grains of sand. It's crazy how many grains of sand are in your little handful. To think that God thinks about us more than the grains of sand in existence. There's a lot of sand out there. Go to the desert once and see how much sand there is. God thinks about you more than you could possibly imagine. And not in a bad way. I think about my son Ellis a lot. And there are times Ellis, he's like, you just said my name. Ellis is the life of the party, all right? He is the life of the party. And there are days I want to rip my own hair out. Because it's just so crazy and chaotic. And it's like, bud, you don't poop your pants, all right? We've been over this. But the amount of times I think about my son Ellis is insane. And I can tell you, 98% of the time, there's that 2%, but 98% of that time, all I can think about is how much I love that little kid. All I can think about is how awesome he is, how sweet he is, how fantastic he is, how awesome his life is going to be. I'm not dwelling on the fact that he did something wrong or that he spilled a whole half gallon of chocolate milk on my counter when I told him specifically not to pour it all himself. (laughs) Happened last week. It was awesome and sticky. I'm thinking about how much I love my son. I think so many times we bury ourselves because we think that God dwells on all the stuff we do wrong. How could God use me? How could God love me? I do this, that, and the other thing. I'm caught up in this. I did that. This happened to me. We get so caught up and we bury ourselves when in reality, God thinks about you more than the amount of grains of sand on this earth. And they're good things. We get buried by the negative words that people speak against us at our job. We get buried by the things that have been spoken over us that aren't true. We get buried and we get so down on what's going on in our life that we don't understand that God has singled us out. He knows us by name. He thinks about us all the time. And he has something big, fantastic, and huge for our lives. But we get buried in it and don't live it. You talk about driving with confidence, you know where you're going. What if we lived with confidence knowing that God himself has called us out? It would change the way we live. It would change the way we think, the way we behave. You're chosen, you're called, and you're seen by God 
who brought you here in the first place. It's not just happenstance that you're on this earth. There's a reason. And part of coming alive in Christ means you knowing that and living like that. Coming alive in Christ is not just getting to know him, it's getting to know yourself. The more you get to know him, the more you get to know more about God, you witness him, you experience him. The more you get to get a hold of who God is and what he's all about, the more you're going to find that he is about people. He becomes real to you and it changes things. When you are so, so in love with God and you figure out who God is, you'll understand he loves people, which means he loves you. I think so many times we tell God he shouldn't love us when in reality he's like, okay, I'm going to love you anyway. Because the more you know about God, the more you see he does everything because he loves people. He loves people. Even the people that aren't worthy of love, you know any of those people? The people that just drive you nuts? If we'll be vulnerable for a second, I'm sure there are people in each of our lives that drive us so, so mad. People that make us so, so upset, so, so angry. People who do some really messed up things. And we think, you know what? God's love is great, but he, they're not worthy of it. Uh-uh. They don't. Mm-mm. He loves them just as much as he loves you and I. And that messes me up sometimes. Because it's like, God, how could you love someone who does that? He goes, because I loved you and you didn't know me either. God is about people. And guess what? You are people. He loves you. And when we understand that, it changes us. I so desire that every single person in this room can come alive in Christ. What does that mean specifically? That means that the five-year-old down the hallway in our kid's wing, who doesn't necessarily know much about God, who doesn't necessarily know what's going on, all they care about is the chicken nuggets happening after church. Coming alive in Christ means that they get to hear about the real life Jesus. The Jesus that's going to be with them for the rest of their life, even when they don't feel him. Coming alive in Christ means that they're going to have a foundation back there that they can draw on later on in life. Coming alive in Christ means the person in our youth ministry, our youth students, the person who comes in is like, I like coming here, but I hate God. The person who comes in and they, I was like, how was your week? It was all right. Oh, really? What's happened? Just some stuff at home. Oh, you want to talk about it? No, not really. My, my dad's just kind of messed up. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's fine. I'm used to it. To them, coming alive in Christ means that they understand there's a heavenly father that cares for them and loves for them more than anyone possibly could. And when they see that and they understand that, they start to feel God in a real way. Coming alive in Christ means that the people in this church, some of you have been going to church for your entire lives. But to come alive in Christ means 
that you're going to know him on a deeper level because you're going to give him your full heart. You're going to come alive because you understand that God's called you. And you're going to say, you know what? If you're calling me to do something with my life, what do you want me to do, God? I'm going to go. Coming alive in Christ means that there might be a non-believer, an atheist, an agnostic that right now is at home. I don't know their name. I don't know what their life story is. But in a year, in two years, in three years, in five years, in 10 years, they're going to walk through a little church called the Bridge Church. They're going to hear about a man named Jesus who loves them more than anyone possibly could, who can redeem the negative, nasty stuff that's happened in their life and give them a new purpose and a fresh vision for their life. Coming alive in Christ means a 72-year-old grandparent who's like, I, I don't know what my purpose is anymore. I believe God is going to use you in powerful ways all the way until the time you breathe your last breath, if you let him. To see people come alive in Christ is why I said yes to pastoring the Bridge Church. Because I so, so love and desire to see a people, a group of people. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're single, married, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you are on fire for God, you've known him your whole life, or whether you have no idea who he is. The reason I want to be the pastor of this church is because I believe God is going to become real to every single person that will let him. And to come alive in him means that you don't just know who he is, you know who you are through him. And it will change you. When Jesus commissioned his disciples in that room, when he said, I'm sending you, he gave them two things. Identity and purpose. He gave them an identity saying, I am putting my seal on you. I am putting my mark on you. You are mine. Not in a way of like, I own you like a piece of cattle. But guess what? You're a part of my squad. You're with me. Someone tries to pick on you, guess what? You're with me. Someone tries to mess with you, guess what? You're with me. There's a, there's a protection and a holiness and a strength there that comes with that identity. There's a power that comes with it. And then he gave him purpose. Go out and tell the world who I am and change the world. Next week, I get to talk all about what's going to happen outside these four walls. Next week, if I could give you a shameless plug, you will not want to miss church next week. Because I'm going to drop some vision things, some things that we're going to do very practically. But I also want to share with you some really big dreams that I believe God's been speaking to me. And you will not want to miss what happens. But just like before Jesus sent out his disciples, just before he said, all right, go out and change the world, he said, I am, ch- I am sending you. He, he met them where they are and said, I'm going to meet you here. I'm going I'm to disprove the doubts. I'm going to show you I'm real. But I'm going to give you that identity and that purpose. And perhaps the biggest piece that I've yet to talk about, saving the best for last, Because a little teaser, 
They leave this room. Twelve dudes locked away in a room, fearing for their lives, a bunch of little scaredy cats. They walk out of this room. A few days later, they experience God one more time. And from there on, they turn into these fearless pastors who go into all the world and start telling people about him. What happened? What changed? They found their identity. They found their purpose. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be really real for a second. The Holy Spirit's weird. You've been to some of those churches where like the Holy Spirit's moving and it's like, what did I walk into here? So I'm going to take it down a notch because I think sometimes what happens to the church is it gets weird. But the Holy Spirit is the X factor. The Holy Spirit is where things change. The Holy Spirit is literally God. You have God the Father. You have God the Son. Then you have God the Holy Spirit. If you've been to traditional church, you've probably heard that before. And you're like, okay, cool. God the Father is the judge. He sits up in heaven waiting for us. Jesus was God in the flesh. Human being like you and I walked the earth, went to the cross and all this stuff. And there's God, the Holy Spirit. What's his role? When you say yes to living for Jesus, when you accept Jesus into your life, he lives in here. That still small voice is not sometimes a still small voice. It's not just coincidence. It's not just conscience. We believe that God, the Holy Spirit, God himself in a spiritual form is within us, giving us wisdom, giving us encouragement. We don't feel it. When you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, boom, this encouragement happens or boom, this word that just kind of pops back into your head from what I shared on a Sunday morning, or maybe this thing just pops into your head out of nowhere and it's a Bible verse. That's not just coincidence. That's God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And there is a power knowing that God himself is inside of us. It doesn't have to be weird. And I think that's sometimes where the enemy can have his way because we just poo-poo it away because it gets weird. But when Jesus is up next to God the Father, but we have God himself speaking to us right here, right now in real time, there's a difference in how we live. So how are we going to come alive in Christ? How are we going to find our identity, find our purpose, and live with the Holy Spirit? A few different ways. I'm going to call Lexi up as we close out. My prayer is that this church, the Bridge Church, oh, I am so excited for next week. I can't get too far ahead of myself because it is some good stuff. But this church is not just going to be a place, just a building where we come and do the same thing every Sunday. This place is a fortress. This place is a place where we can come in when we're wounded, when we're down, when we're out, and we can find healing and peace and encouragement and strength we don't have any. This is going to be a place where we get excited and pumped up and filled with strength to go out and live our life and live our purpose. It's going to be a fortress where the door is always open. How are we going to find our identity and find our purpose? What is the bridge church going to look like? 
few different things. Sunday morning services, it's open to all. You don't have to know Jesus to walk into this place. You don't even have to like him or know him. You're welcome. Whether the night before you spent praying and tucking your kids into bed or whether you were sleeping around and drunk off your butt, you're welcome in this place on Sunday morning. Because that's what he would do. Jesus welcomed all into this place. I'll tell you one thing. This place is going to be welcomed to all. From the moment you get onto this property, you want people to know you're welcomed in this place. That's why we have smiling people at the door. It's why we have a big welcome home on the wall. Because we want people to know this is a safe spot. It's a fortress. You're going to find a message that's anchored in the Bible in real life terms. I give you my word on that. If you have known Jesus for your whole life and you are on fire for him, there's going to be something here for you on Sunday mornings. There's also going to be something for somebody who doesn't even know what the Bible is, who doesn't even know who a man named Jesus is because they need to come alive just as much as you and I do. We're all meant to come alive in him. So Sunday mornings is going to be a thing. We're going to always have onboarding options, intro dinners, intro lunches. We want people to feel welcomed and know what our story is, who we are, how we do things. I'm a logical thinker. Don't just tell me, here's what we, you know, go and do this. Okay, how? I like to know the ins and the outs. We'll give you that. Intro dinners, intro lunches. We're building a visitor center in that corner table so that when you bring family members, neighbors, coworkers, people off the street, they don't walk into this place and feel uncomfortable. There's a visitor center where they can take something home and go, here's who we are. We want you to be a part of who, what's going on here at the bridge. A visitor center. Community. We're going to talk about this next week. When you have that family that you know that's just awesome, they love each other, they're awesome, they just have a good time, you go, man, that's a sweet family. When people walk into this church for the first time, I want them to see a bridge church community that is so strong they can't help but feel attracted to it. I don't know what's going on in that place, in that place down the road next to the cornfield, but something's happening, I want to be a part of it. Because it's fun and exciting. They are having a great time. I want the community of this church to go to places it's never been before. Because we're alive in him. And the last thing that is hot off the press. We are doing this thing called a growth track. Part of coming alive in Christ means that we know how to come alive in him. So whether you've been coming to the church for 12 years or whether you walked in last week, we're offering something called the growth track. We want every single person to walk through. I'll give you all the details as it comes out, but basically it's a four-step process where you know more about who we are as a church. You grow in your faith. You get connected and you serve. Because the disciples, they got to know who God was. They grew in their faith. 
they connected with each other and with him, then they served. And they changed the world. Their lives were changed. There was more joy and more purpose in those 12 men's lives after Jesus than they ever had before. And I want the same for this church. So here's how I want to end this service. Next week, we're talking all about outside these walls. And God is stirring up some really cool stuff. But before we do that, we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to be sent? Are we willing to go to the next level in our faith? Are we willing to open the door to our lives and let God in to the very inner crannies of it? Because if we do, I firmly believe that this community, this church, this world is going to be a different place if we say yes. You might have to do some new things. You might have to step out of your comfort zone. But let me tell you one thing, I will go first. As your pastor, I'm not going to ask you to do something I won't do myself. So I'm going to be going through growth track just with you. I'm going to be opening the doors just with you. I'm going to be welcoming everybody into our church just like you. We have to be willing to be sent if we want our world to change. We have to be willing to let God change us from the inside out. And if we do, the world will be different. But guess what? Your marriage will be different. Your outlook on life will be different. Your relationship with him will be different. I get it's not always sunshine and roses, but let me tell you something. If you let God into your life and fully let him have full reign in your life, you will live differently. You'll go from driving with two hands on the wheel, working your way through life, trying to figure out how to go, to driving 20 miles an hour, one-handed, with a Big Mac in this hand and a cell phone in this hand. What did he just say? God's going to change your life. Change mine. I'm just asking if you'll let him. My challenge for you today is will you open the door? Will you be open to what he wants to do? Will you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Jesus himself came for all. He came for the two thieves that were on his left and his right when he was hanging on the cross. The two dudes who were doing some messed up stuff in life. He came for them just as much as he came for his 12 disciples. So today, you're like, you know what? I've, I've been doing some stuff in life. I just got to get right. You say Jesus loves me, but I don't know about that. I'm struggling to feel that. I hope he does and I want him to. But if that's you in this place, I just want to pray for you for a second that you would know that he loves you and you would open the door and give him a chance. And if someone's done stuff or lived a certain way in your life that's made you feel opposite, I'm sorry for that. But I believe God wants to get a hold of you and show you that he cares, he's genuine, he's real, and he loves you. And for everyone else, God is sending you. He's putting that mark, that 
prideful, beaming, I'm so proud of this person's stamp, just like a parent would on their son or daughter, on you, and saying, this person is awesome, and I'm so excited for what they're going to do. I love them. If you will answer the bell, if you will answer the call, if you will say, you know what? I know you're sending me, Jesus, so send me. You're calling me out. You're saying, will you go? Will you, will you be sent? Whether you want to make things right or whether you are willing to be sent. Will you just raise your hand if you're willing to do any of those things? I see those hands. God, we are ready for what you want to do. God, send us. Send us into our world. Send us into our jobs, into this community. We know you're moving. We know you want to do some cool stuff. I just pray that today, Jesus, we would know that you see us, you care for us. And the Holy Spirit is going to give us every single thing we need to accomplish it. We're not going about this in our own strength. We're going with his. So God, surround us with your love. Surround us with your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our own strength, we're going with his. So God, surround us with your love. Surround us with your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.